0: Wow, what a morning. Amen? Amen. And praise the Lord. So grateful for what God continues to do here at Mount Pleasant. Hey, before we get into the message, uh, this is Veterans Day weekend. I want to recognize all of our veterans. If you're a veteran, would you please stand? We want to recognize you today. All right. All right. So grateful for each of you, so grateful for your service to our country, and it it's good to be able to worship freely here today. As you know, this year we've been going through a series called um, Fitness for the Soul. You just saw the bumper there on that, and, and so there are different aspects as we think about having a soul that's fit, uh, that we worship Jesus, that we hope in Jesus, that we walk with Jesus, that we rest in Jesus, and we're now looking at, we're waiting for Jesus, And so as thinking about the idea of waiting for Jesus, we are going through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We'll finish up 1st Thessalonians next week, and then we'll do the three chapters of 2nd Thessalonians after that, which will take us right up to the Christmas season. And so as we think about this idea of waiting for Jesus, today we're going to look at specifically be encouraged while we wait. You know, we have this, all of us have this preoccupation of wanting to know what's going to happen. Chances are good that you checked your weather this morning or last night about what the weather was going to be like today to figure out what you needed to wear. Do I need to wear a coat to church or wear shorts to church today? Uh, because we want to know what it's going to be like. And maybe you've got an event that's coming up down the road, maybe this weekend, a little bit further out, and you've already checked out the 10-day weather extended forecast, even though you can't count on that, by the way. Uh, but you've checked, you want to find out what's going to happen at this event. And some of you who are so enthralled with having snow this winter have already checked out the Farmer's Almanac to say, what is it going to be like this winter? And so you're thinking of ahead of that. And just so you know that if it does snow, I'm praying that it snows not on Sunday, by the way, all right? And so, and then there's other things, you know, like financial indicators, we think about thinking forward for mortgage rates or our stock market, whatever the thing may be. But we're wondering, oftentimes we're thinking, what is going to happen down the road. You know, it's fascinating that as God created us, that he created us with a memory that could think backwards, and he gave us a mind to think in the present, but he did not give us a mind to think into the future. You ever think about that? As a matter of fact, the only sure far assurance of future events, of knowing what is going to happen, is not found anywhere else except right here. This is the only place where you'll be able to figure out what's going to happen in the future. And for the believer, the end of the story is great and it is wonderful. You see, Even though we live in an unsteady and a broken world, beloved, this morning we want to see that we can be encouraged with the Word of, with the word of God and the promises that are proven about what is going to take place. So let's look at this passage and be encouraged while we wait for Jesus. Y'all ready? Amen? Amen. All right. So you remember last week I had to give you a little bit of a, a class on what it was to say Amen. So I don't have to do that again today. So I hope you've learned, and so now we can go with it. All right, so if you're, a- if you're able, in honor reverence to the Word of God, if you'd please stand. As I read this passage of Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning verse 13, and then going into chapter 5 to verse 11, some of my favorite passages of Scripture are found here as well. So let's, let's hear what the Word of God says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they'll not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober." are doing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word, and Lord, I pray that as we walk away from here today, for those of us who know Jesus, that know you, Lord Jesus, as Savior of our lives, who walk with you, who rest in you, who know you, Lord, I pray that we'll walk away encouraged today while we're waiting for you to come. I pray, Lord, that it would spur us on to action, And I pray, Lord, that it would cause us to have hope and, Lord, that we would share that news with many, many people. I pray also, Father, for those who may be among us who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that they would recognize your great love for them and that before it's too late, that they would give their heart to you and that today would be that day. I pray, Lord, that we would walk through this passage of Scripture together and that you would speak into our hearts, into our lives, and may we walk away comforted by what we hear, called to action, but also, Lord, conformed to being more like Jesus and seeking to be more in love with you. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way. Use me, Lord, I'm nothing, but Lord, you are my all in all. I'm just your instrument. And I pray, Lord, the words of my mouth, meditation, my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You May be seated. Well, as we look at these uh, Verses of Scripture, there are four things that I want you to see and try to understand as we walk through this together. And I truly pray that as a believer in Jesus Christ, as you hear the Word proclaimed, that you will be encouraged as you walk away from the passage today. But also, as we see four points, or four things we want you to see, there are three to-dos at the end that are application points that we want to take with us as we go at the end of the service. All right, so first thing I want you to see here. To be encouraged while we're waiting for Jesus, number one, is that we have an anchored hope. What we find in this passage of Scripture is that we as believers have hope. And so we want to see first off that there is an anchored hope. Now remember about the church at Thessalonica, that the church, if you go back to the, the Acts chapter 17, you remember that story as to what Uh, happened there where Paul and Silas were traveling on the missionary journey they come to Thessalonica they're preaching the gospel people get saved uh the new church is born and then if you remember that they had to be Paul and Silas had to be rushed out because of the mob that caused up a it was a great stir of things that took place but he'd been there about three months or so and then uh, having left from there so quickly he sent Timothy later to go back to the church to find out how they were doing Timothy goes, spends some time with the church, comes back to Paul, reports to them that, hey, they're doing great. Uh, Maybe there's some questions that they have. Paul then writes the letter and sends it back through Timothy, which is what we have in 1 Thessalonians. Okay, And so as we recognize that, we know that when Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica the first time, teaching and preaching and pointing people to Jesus, they taught them about Jesus. And they discipled them about what it means to follow Jesus. And as they were talking to them about Jesus and teaching them and discipling them, no doubt, it seems very apparent that one of the things that Paul taught them was a truth, a doctrine that we believe, and that's this, that Jesus is coming again. Amen? Amen. Jesus is coming again. Amen? Amen? And so that's what we see here. That, that we'll see that as we walk through this passage of Scripture. And this would be an important doctrine because Jesus himself has told that he is coming again, that he is going to return. As a matter of fact, and he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Then also we recognize in the first chapter of the book of Acts, when Jesus had ascended up into heaven, the disciples had all gathered around. They watched him go up into heaven, and as they're looking up into the clouds, into the heavens, uh, they, all of a sudden there were two men who were robed in white, who speak to them and say, hey, verse verse 11, Acts 1, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so this doctrine that Jesus is coming is a firm, solid doctrine that Jesus is coming again. Now, imagine that you're one of those new believers in Thessalonica, And Paul has taught and discipled you about who Jesus is and following Jesus and what that looks like. And and in the process told them that Jesus is coming again. Now, a couple of decades has surpassed or has passed by since uh, Jesus has ascended into heaven. And imagine that as you're one of these new believers and you know that Jesus is coming, but you don't know when, of course... And all of a sudden you recognize that your loved ones, the people who know Jesus, who are believers, who, who are people that you care about, they are beginning to pass away. And so you're beginning to have questions about, okay, so Jesus is coming, but my, this person, my, my sister, my brother, my mom, my dad, my wife, my husband has passed away. So what does that mean? So what's happening to them now? And what's going to happen when Jesus comes? Are they going to miss the return of Christ? And so Paul is answering that here in this passage of Scripture, and he's encouraging them with an anchored hope. So look at verse 13 again. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So the first thing Paul addresses is he addresses their first concern about the death of believers. And he says to them, he's saying them to the here, in that verse, hey, it's okay to grieve at the loss of someone, but it's okay to grieve, but to grieve as those who have hope. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have hope, and that person has hope as they have passed away and they knew Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. And so what he says here is that this hope that we have is anchored in truth. The hope we have is anchored in truth. In other words, it is a fact that has a foundation. So what is that fact? What is that anchored truth? Well, look at what he says in verse 14. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so this anchor of hope is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross, and He rose again bodily from the grave, and He lives. Amen? Amen. That is our anchor of hope. And so those who have died, Paul is saying, those who have died aren't going to miss His return. As a matter of fact, they're very much alive today. So we see here that he uses the terms about those who are asleep in verse 13. You see it again in verse 14, about those who have fallen asleep. You see this term, asleep. Well, asleep, don't get caught up in that. It just simply is another term for what it means to die. It's to be be dead. It means death, those who have died. But understand that as he talks about being asleep, this is not soul sleep, that your soul is somehow asleep, ready to be awakened sometime later down the road. No, that's not what he's talking about here. Even though the body has died, the soul or the spirit, and I'll use those two terms interchangeably, the soul or the spirit isn't dead. And so once we breathe, listen now, once we breathe our last breath, we do not sleep in a grave. Our body, nor our ashes, nor our DNA uh, sleeps. It simply rests, but our spirit is very much alive. Amen? Amen? It's very much alive. In other words, we will always be conscious of our existence. We will always be conscious of our existence, whether we are a believer or a non-believer. Amen. We will always be conscious of our existence. You see, at death, your body has quit functioning but your spirit, your soul, it continues to exist fully aware. Paul would write to the believer, about believers in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. He says this. He says, yes, we're of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In Philippians 1, verse 23, he would say, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ. For that is far better. Amen? Amen? So we're fully aware. We're in the presence of Jesus when we breathe our last breath. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if I get that. I don't know if I understand. I don't know if I believe that. Okay, well, if that's not enough for you, think about this. Think about when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he is transfigured before the disciples, uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. And you know that as he is, Jesus was transfigured in front of those disciples, there were two other people there, Moses and and Elijah, the Bible says. Moses and Elijah had been dead a long time, but here they are at the man's transfiguration with Jesus. It doesn't look like they're asleep to me. Amen? Amen. So they're fully aware. So be encouraged, friends. For those who know Jesus, we can be encouraged because we have an anchored hope because Jesus died and he rose again. Then we will live on as well, fully aware. So know this that you will, at death, when you breathe your last, you will be either fully aware that you are in the presence of the Lord Jesus, or you will be fully aware that you are separated from God in a literal hell. I use this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes I've found in this, this whole year. And I used it a few weeks ago. I love it so much, I'm going to give it to you again today. All right, From Robert McQuilkin, he says this, When a believer dies... His spirit is so instantaneously in the presence of the Lord that he may feel with Paul that he knows not whether he's in the body or out of the body. And that's good stuff, isn't it? Amen. That's so good. Yes. We will, it's going to be so real because it is real. Amen. We'll be fully aware. But also the converse is true as well. So a non-believer, just as a believer will go into the presence of Jesus, a non-believer will go directly to a literal hell. Now there's a story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, and there's a couple of verses that I just want to pull out and share with you about that that says the poor man died that's Lazarus and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side the rich man also died and he was buried and in Hades or in hell being in torment he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side so this idea friends is more than idea it's a reality that when we breathe our last our last we are still very much fully aware because what we see here as the rich man this who is in hell He is fully aware of who he is. He is fully aware of his foolishness. He is fully aware of his torment and his misery, and he's fully aware of his doom. You can go back and read that whole account. And so for the person who has not trusted Jesus by faith, there is not an anchored hope, but rather there's the reality of the wrath of God. And so I would say to you, if you do not have that assurance that you are not under the wrath of God, that you don't have this anchored hope, that today would be the day that you would turn from sin, turning to Jesus Christ, and trust Jesus that He is who He says He is. That he died for you on the cross and he rose again bodily from the grave. That he is the Savior and the Lord and no one is saved but through him. Call out to him today and, beloved, he will save you. Amen? Amen. It's vital that you turn and trust him today. But for the believer who hears these words, beloved, we can be encouraged. Because we have an anchored hope. The anchored hope is Jesus Christ, who died for me on the cross, He rose again, and Jesus is alive. And since Jesus is alive, we are alive now in him, and we're going to live, and we will live in him. And so this is our anchored hope. This is not some wishful thinking. Beloved, this is a solid certainty. This is a fact with a foundation. It is a promise with the proof. Amen? Amen. It's who we are in Christ. And so, be encouraged. We have an anchored hope. Then there's the second thing I want you to see here, and that is that we also have an assured hope. We have an assured hope. This is where it's going to get good, right here, okay? Hang on. Look at verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left into the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For... The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Come on now, right? That is good stuff. And so what Paul is doing here is he's addressing the Thessalonians' concern about what's going to happen when Jesus comes. And so he's sharing with them, we have an assured hope. And now this passage is about what takes place at what's known as the rapture. And so we'll talk about that here in just a few minutes, thinking about the rapture. But as we think about the end times, there are various beliefs and there are various views about when and how this is all going to take place. So just give me, bear with me for just a moment. Let me help you with some of this, okay? There are some who think that the rapture will take place in the beginning of this terrible time on the earth known as the tribulation. Those people who think that are pre-tribulationists. And so there's some who believe that the rapture will take place in the middle of the tribulation. It's, tribulation is supposedly seven years, be in the middle of that. So those are mid-tribulationists. And then those who believe that the rapture will take place at the end of the tribulation, those are post-tribulationists, all right? So some think that that's going to be either the beginning or the middle or the end. They think they have the scriptures, all views, all those views, they have scripture to back up what they think but they believe, they think it's true, but they're not sure, all right? There's some also, when they think about the rapture, some who think the rapture and the second coming are separate events. They have scripture to back it up, they think it's true, but they're not sure. There's also some who think that the second coming and the rapture are the same event happening simultaneously. There's scripture to back it up, they think it's true, but they're not sure. Then, then there's this another part of the end time called the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Jesus. And there's those who have a pre-millennial view that believes that Jesus is going to come before this thousand years, this thousand-year rule of him. They have the scriptures to back it up. They think it's what's going to happen, but they're not sure. There's also a view known as the amillennial view, that some think the millennium is a symbolic number, Pointing to Christ's reign from heaven right now. And then when he comes, he'll set up the new heaven and the new earth at that time. There's scripture to back that up. They think that that's what's going to happen, but they're not sure. There's also what's known as a post-millennial view. That some think that Jesus will come after a symbolic millennium. And during this time frame, the world is going to get better and better as the gospel is proclaimed which will bring about an age of peace on this earth, and then Jesus will return. There's scripture to back that up. They think that's what's going to happen, but they're not sure. And so now let me just lay my cards on the table, all right? My view is, I think the rapture is going to take place before the seven-year tribulation, and then Jesus will come at the second coming with the battle of Armageddon, and I think that he will set up the thousand-year reign at that point, and I think after this that the great white throne judgment, and then I think Jesus will then create the new heaven and the earth. There's scripture to back that up. I think that's what's going to happen, but I'm not sure. You see, these are views about how and when everything's going to happen. And each view can point to scripture to help undergird their case. But no matter what view you hold, and maybe you think, well, I don't know. and maybe it's, maybe it's going to be one of those. Maybe it's going to be some of those all mixed together. I don't know. But all of them have the same thing. In that it's, it is what we think, but we are not sure. None are sure. So you say, okay, pastor, all right. So, so the, point, the point that I wrote down for the second point is that we have an assured hope. And now, after hearing all those views, I'm not sure of anything right now, okay? So just what can I be assured of? Well, here I can tell you what you can be assured of as we look at this passage of Scripture. All right? We see in these verses what we can be and what we are assured of. If you look in verses 15 through 17 specifically right now, And look for the four-letter word starting with the W, W W-I-L-L, will. And verse 15, it says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. The Lord will descend. Verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, we who are alive will be caught up together with them. Verse 17, we will always be with the Lord. And so, friends, listen. This is our assured hope. But not only is it as our assured hope; it is an astounding hope. Amen. I mean, this is just think about what's being said here. Look, first off, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. The Lord, the Lord Himself. The Bible says that's Jesus. He will descend from heaven. Jesus. Who himself, who is our Savior. Jesus, who is the one who died for us. Jesus, the one who rose again. Jesus, who is our King. He himself will descend from heaven. Amen? I mean, come on. What an assured hope that is. Amen? The Lord himself will descend from heaven. But get this. As he descends with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of of the trumpet of God. Now some say those are going to happen in successive order. The the announcement, the the cry or the voice and then the sound. Or some say, uh, no, it's all probably going to happen at the same time. Let me tell you something. Either way, it's going to be loud, it's going to be clear, and it's going to be powerful enough to call the dead and the living. Amen? The Lord Himself will descend from heaven. And the Bible says, he will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so the next will we see here is that the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay. Got to wrap my mind around this, right? So what's this all about? There in verse 14, he says he's bringing with those who have fallen asleep, and yet the dead in Christ will rise first. So, Fallen asleep means that they've died. So what is this? He's going to bring them and then they're dead, then Christ is going to rise. What is that all about? Well, as I said, when we die, our spirit, our soul, it is, it is with the Lord. But as if we die before the Lord comes, we'll be with the Lord. But it will be waiting for that day when the spirit will be reunited with the body and we'll have a new body a new body that will be resurrected body it'll be a changed body it'll be a glorified body and all this takes place at the rapture amen and say well okay so so what's going to happen so the dead and those who have died fallen asleep they're with the spirits with the Lord and so when Jesus comes the dead in Christ will rise first The body will be resurrected, and the body and the spirit are reunited, and now there's a new glorified body. And some would say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Hold up. So what about those people who've been dead a long, long time, and so there's nothing left of their body? Or what about those people, Pastor, who've been cremated, or who are burned up in a fire? Or what about those people, Pastor, who are buried at sea? I mean, how? I just don't know how God's going to resurrect their body to be reunited with their spirit. Listen, I I understand the question. But I also want you to understand who God is, right? I mean, our God is the, the God who can speak and the whole world comes into being. Our God is the one who can part the seas and calm the winds. Our God, who is the, is the one who is the eternal I am. Are y'all with me this morning? Our God is the resurrection and the life. Our God is the one who can call and Lazarus come walking out of that tomb. So he's the same God who can call and the dead, no matter where their ashes are, no matter where their body is, no matter where their DNA is, will be reunited and re- resurrected with a brand new body. Amen? Okay, Pastor, I get this. So what's, what's the body going to be like? I mean, if I'm thinking about having a new body, can I put an order in? <laughs> I mean, I got some ideas about what I want my new body to look like. I'm with you there. I get you. But here, understand this about the glorified body, a resurrected body. It'll be a body like Jesus' resurrected body. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So I don't know what it's going to look like, but looking at the resurrected body of Jesus when he resurrected from the dead, we get an indication of what it's going to be like. And so it will be a body that's a physical body, that is able to be touched and that can touch because jesus was able to do that it's also a physical body that can eat hallelujah come on right it can eat but also it's a body that's not limited to time or space because if you remember, in Jesus with his resurrected body, he was able, even though he was able to be touched and he was able to eat, he was able to move into rooms that were, the doors were closed and the doors were locked. And he was able to disappear and appear. I mean, how cool is that? Amen? Come on. So we have this assured hope that the Lord Jesus himself will descend from heaven. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we see something else that takes place here that will happen. Those who are alive will be caught up with them in the clouds. So if the Lord were to come back in the next minute, those of us who are living, breathing, at least I think most of y'all are here today, will be caught up with the dead in Christ, who have now resur- been resurrected, with them in the clouds. And so this idea of being caught up is where we get the word rapture. In the Greek, it's, it is the word for rapture and so the word means to to seize or to snatch away in a in a moment quickly we're seized up and snatched away as i was thinking about it this morning i thought about when my mama would get mad at me she's boy i'm gonna snatch you up right well i don't think that's what the lord's talking about here but it's gonna be just as it's gonna be just as quick i guarantee you and so we are snatched away we're seized away from this world Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, it tells us this Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. The rapture will happen. Come on now. The rapture will happen and we will meet the Lord in the air. Wow, can you imagine it? Beloved, we have an assured hope. This is going to happen. And with this assurance, we can be encouraged as believers. That's what Paul says. Look at verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's great encouragement. I'm encouraged. How about you? All right, so we have an anchored hope. We have an assured hope, and then here's the third thing. We have an aware hope. We have an aware hope. Verses 1 and 2, chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So he says here, as believers, we are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So what is that? I mean, a thief in the night, when a, if a thief is coming in the night, that's something that is surprising. That's something that's unexpectedly. But then if you're, say, if you're saying, okay, but you're fully aware, how do you reconcile being fully aware and then also being unexpected at the same time? And here's how. We know he's coming. We don't know when, right? We don't know when. We know he's coming. We don't know when. Jesus said in Revelation 22, three different places. Verse 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Verse 12, behold, I am coming soon. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. So beloved, Jesus's return is soon. It is imminent. And so because of that, That means that there is a sense of expectancy, there's a sense of urgency, and for the believer, there's also a sense of our obligation. So this is a source of hope that Jesus is coming soon. It's a source of hope for the believer, but also it is a warning for the unbeliever. Y'all with me? It's a source of hope for us, but it's a warning for those who don't know Jesus. And so he's talking about, okay, what is it he's talking about? He's talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is at hand. Now, there's different views about this as well, but a different view of what this looks like, but it will be a period, this day of the Lord will be a period of history that brings God's wrath, God's judgment on the world. Now, it could be that it's a day, a literal day, or it could be that it's an extended point of time. But whatever it may be, it is when God's wrath and when God's judgment is poured out on the earth. And so what he's saying is, as a believer, you are aware that this is going to take place. But it's our task to make others aware that this day is coming. So let's look at verses 3 and following. He says, "...while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you're all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness." So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And so he's saying here, look, for the believer, you have a hope that's aware. And we see that here. He says you're fully aware, but then also he spells that out. You're aware because you're of the light, not of the darkness. That you're children of the day, not of the night. That you're sober, you're not drunk. And so all of those are indicators of you being aware. If you're drunk, you're not aware. If you're in darkness, you're not aware. If it's nighttime, you're not aware because it's dark, right? So he's saying, look, you're fully aware of what's going to take place. But the unbeliever is unaware because they're in darkness, because they sleep, because they are drunk. So he says, they're unaware, so they're unaware of the reality of the coming of the Lord. They're unaware of the wrath that will ensue and so people will say there's peace and security man they've been going through life and man things are so good man we got our way we get to do all this stuff and it's peace security but then he says but then there's sudden destruction it will come as a thief it will come surprisingly it'll come unexpectedly and then it says and it will come like labor pains of a pregnant woman and so thinking about that, okay, what, they, will not, they will not escape. So thinking about that, and I happen to think about Angie, and I've, I've told this story before, so I'm good. it. So when you get one pass, it means it's good forever, right? But I was thinking about that this, this morning as well. As you think about this, when, uh, when our babies were born, Angie was able to have an epidural with the first two, but when it came time for Hannah to, have, to be born, time was not, she didn't have time to get the epidural. And she was fully in her labor. And she looked at me and she said, I can't do this. I can't do this. I said, oh, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. Now I was way more compassionate than that. But the idea here is, is that when you're in labor, there's no escape. And that's what he's saying here. When this day comes for the nonbeliever, there is no escape wow it'll come as a thief and there's no escape and so this we we see Matthew 24 verse 37 39 Jesus said this he says for as were the days of Noah so will be the coming of the son of man verse 39 and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away so will be the coming of the son of man See, we look at that passage and we look at our culture and we say, we are living in the days of Noah. There's so much stuff that's going on. Man, we will fret and we will fuss and we will point our fingers at this whole wicked world. And rightly so, they are the world living like the world. But what it should do for us is set our souls aflame to want to tell them about Jesus. Because he is the hope. Amen? Amen. He is the hope. And so their unawareness and our awareness reveals our responsibility as believers. In verse 8, he says, let us be sober, let us be aware, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. In other words, being fully aware that we're to live out a life of faith, we're to live out a life of love and to live out a life of hope, Using and he used that armor imagery but realizing that this is a battle that we're in. So he's saying, look, live for Jesus, point to Jesus, we have hope in Jesus. And then verse 9, he goes further. He says, as you're living this out, you have this aware hope. Verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we go through this, this, this world in which we're living, to understand something is that we are not destined for wrath. We have an aware hope. We're not destined for... Now that we took, have Jesus Christ as Lord and our Savior... We are, the Bible says, we are not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus. He said, wait a minute. It says, we're destined, not destined for wrath, but, but to obtain salvation. I thought I was already saved. Well, you are. You see, when you come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are saved from the wrath of God, the penalty that was rightly yours. Jesus took for you on the cross of Calvary. You trust Him by faith. You are saved from that wrath. But also, you're being saved. He continues to provide and protect you today from the wrath of God. And He will save you from the wrath to come. So when the wrath is poured out, friends, He says, you are not destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus. You see, I have a Savior who went to a cross to take a wrath that I deserved. And now the Bible says, because he took my wrath, I'm no longer destined for wrath. Amen? Amen. Jesus took the wrath you deserve and I deserve when he went to the cross of Calvary. The penalty for our sin is the wrath of God, death. Jesus didn't deserve that, but he took it for us. He took the wrath. And so because Jesus took the wrath for us on the cross, we have this aware hope that he died for us, we're saved from his wrath, and we will live with him. So be encouraged. We have an anchored hope. We have an assured hope. We have a rare hope. And then fourthly, we have an always hope. And this is quick, all right? We have an always hope. When you look at verse 17, the end of verse 17 of chapter 4, Paul says, We will always be with the Lord. Verses 10 11 of chapter 5, it says this, Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or sleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So what he's saying is this, is that whether we are awake or asleep, meaning whether we are alive or our body is in the grave, we are with the Lord always. We have an always hope. Because we have an always living Savior, and we are always with him, and he is and always will be with us. Jesus, when he gave the commission, uh, Great Commission in Matthew twenty-eight twenty, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In John 14, 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Amen? We will always be with Jesus. What a hope that is. Amen. Be encouraged, friends. We'll be with Jesus. So we have an anchored hope, an assured hope, an aware hope, and an always hope. In verse 11, he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Are you encouraged? Are you encouraged? Amen. So all right, here's the thing. Here's three action points, three to-dos. Number one, be ready. So as a believer. In Jesus Christ, how can you be ready for the day when Jesus returns? Well, you need to live for Jesus and you need to point people to Jesus. Amen? That's how you need to be ready. See, a lot of times people get caught up in thinking about okay, are you pre trib, you mid trib, you post trib, are you pre meal, you all meal, you post meal? Let me tell you something instead of getting caught up about when we're gonna get caught up, hey, let's just be ready. Amen? Too many will spend way too much time trying to speculate about, whether the, about the when and the how of when Jesus is coming. One of the things I've said before, I like to say to my brothers who have a different view than I do uh, about the tribulation. I say, look, if I'm right about the tribulation, then we'll go up together. And if I'm wrong about the tribulation, then we'll go through it together. Amen? We'll go through it together. But the thing for us today, friends, listen. The thing for us is not to insist that we're right, but instead that we're ready. That's the key point. We need to be ready. And so if you're a non-believer, get ready. Turn to Jesus. Turn from sin, trusting He is the Son of God who died for you in your place on the cross of Calvary and that He rose again bodily from the grave. Trust Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Be ready. That's the first to do. Second one is this. Be impactful. We're waiting for Jesus to come. Be impactful. In other words, make every moment count. Jesus could come back at any moment. You say, well, I don't know that I believe that. Well, you need to believe this. You could breathe your last breath at any moment too. So whatever the case, be impactful today. Make every moment count because the time is right now to make an impact on the world around you. Don't be saying, oh, I'm going to wait until I feel better. I'm going to wait until I, I have more money. I'm going to wait until I have more time. I'm going to wait till I retire. No, the time to make an impact is right now. Make the impact right now. Be impactful to the people who are around you. Consistently meet them where they are. Point them to Jesus. Be ready, be impactful, and be encouraged. That's the number, number three. Be encouraged. Hey, I hope... I hope and pray that you're encouraged this morning. I mean, maybe you come through this and you think, oh, pastor, I got more questions now than I got answers. I hear you. But here's what I want you to know, okay? Here's what I want you to know. If you know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, it's going to be all right. Amen? It's going to be all right. As a matter of fact, for believers, it's going to be great. It is going to be wonderful and amazing. We have an anchored hope. We have an assured hope. We have an aware hope. We have an always hope. So what I'd like to do as we finish up this morning, do something I don't usually do this, but I want to read a passage of Scripture. Man, it's powerful. But I'd like for you to stand with me as I read this, all right? Would you do that? And we may not have all the answers, all the different views, and how it's all going to shake out, Hey, but we know this. Let me read this for you. I mean, hang on to this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true amen yes yes be encouraged beloved we have hope in jesus amen hey let's pray together father thank you for the truth of your word lord we long for the day when we will see you in all your glory. Lord, I pray that you'd have your way in us until that day comes or until we breathe our last breath. Lord, let us be impactful for your kingdom. Let us point people to Jesus. Let us show people what it is to be a follower of Christ and to know life and faith and love and hope is found only in you. So Lord, guide us in this invitation, Lord, that we would respond by saying, yes, Lord, I've been encouraged. I wanna live for you today. Lord, I wanna be ready for that day. I wanna be ready to see you. And so, Lord, for those who don't know you, may this be that moment where they take a pastor by the hand and say, I need to know Christ as my savior today. For those of us who do, Lord, I pray that we would walk away so challenged by your word to live it out not just on Sunday, but every single day for your glory, honor, and praise. For we ask it now in Jesus' precious name, amen. We're gonna to sing together. You come as God's death with your hearts, we sing.